0: Well, we're in in the book of one John. God is light, God is love, and we're looking at God as as love today. And what a great theme to speak on! God is love, and in in many ways, as you know, John's letter, one John, is is a a letter about love. And and John the Elder was known as the the apostle of love. He was kind of like the, the you know his his kind of is it Polycarp his his kind of um, mentee. You know, he'd say he was always talking about. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. That's kind of like the defining message of someone. Bear in mind that, that John, as a young man, was his nickname was Son of Thunder. You know, there's a bit of a transition in the life of John from being somebody who could want to call down fire from heaven on a village because they hadn't welcomed them, and that kind of kind of young, impulsive, angry young man to... An aged apostle who says, love one another. That's what it's about. That's at the core of it. And um, so as we're in in 1 John, and I'm going to read a little bit from 1 John chapter 2. Um, Now, I'll start start John chapter 3, actually. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us. It didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then um, he, he goes on to say, For this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and, and murdered his own brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is, mur- is a murderer. You know, No murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And just finally, just from John chapter 4. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the Day of Judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Very moving verses. Um, I went to a wedding once, which was um, one of my housemates, um, Laura Spink, if you know Laura. Um, and as she was getting married, um, they'd chosen these words from, from 1 John 4, and her brother read, read, the, read the message out, but he actually read from John 4 instead, <laughs> which is... You, you, no, you haven't got a husband. You've had five husbands. The man you're marrying is not your husband. <laughs> <laughs> he read that out without the, you know, without without moving a muscle. <laughs> I saw next the Tina, We could we could not believe it. But <laughs> anyway, it all passed off very well. And they're still happily married. It's great. What's the truest thing to say about God? If we're going to give a definition of God. How you describe the the awesome creator of the universe, the the, the best definition, the shortest definition the Bible gives us is this, God is love. And everything else flows from that. And I think there are some key things that flow from that. Um, Of course, if God is love, then God is relational. Love is not something that can exist in a vacuum without someone to love. And and, and one of the, the, the reasons that the Trinity is such an important um, benchmark of describing God to us is because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and from the beginning has been living in community of love. And that when we come to know God, we're actually invited into that community of love. We're invited to be um, in love with the Son, who points us to the Father, who elevates the Son, and the Spirit, who's celebrating both of them, and and some theologians talk about this kind of divine dance that we're drawn into, that we're we're entering into an eternal community of love, because from the very beginning, God is love, and that is, um, yeah, everything flows from that, and I guess the other, another thing that's true about the nature of love, that, that love sets people free, in fact, Sting sang a song about it, didn't he? If you love someone, set them free. <laughs> you know? And um, I, I, like Danny, I, I won't attempt to sing that to you. But, um, well, I did, actually, didn't I? But, um, but love and freedom go together. And that, that's one reason why the universe is as it is, why there is the awesome but scary privilege of free choice, of free will, of the fact that we can choose to accept or reject God. But the, the, the love demands that, doesn't it? Love, love is never coercive. If you were to kind of force someone into a relationship with you uh, to delude them by drugging them or uh, brainwashing them or whatever, that wouldn't be love. That would be manipulation. There's something about, about love that, that wants the, the free response of the lover to the beloved. And, 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 and God actually, when he made people in his image, made them to be relational, also gave them that awesome freedom to accept or reject him part of the other aspect of, of love, which is about vulnerability. There's something about the nature of love, which is if we love, we have the power to be hurt. And when we look at God, uh, God, the God of the Bible, the God of, uh, of the Hebrews, the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not the God of the Greek world, the unmovable Mover, the first cause, the kind of rather detached, whatever, you know, the, the, the divine watchmaker who sets everything up and running and then doesn't care. No, actually, God is a God who's intimately connected with the world and the people that He made and therefore is vulnerable. He's vulnerable to the pain that comes from witnessing those people that He loves, He's created, hurting themselves and hurting one another. From the very earliest parts of the Bible, in Genesis 6. Um, the, the writer of Genesis records, you know, God saw that the evil of men's heart, the, the, the inclination of men's heart was only evil all the time. And it grieved him to his heart. It pained him that he'd made this violent, um, cre- you know, the violence of, of, of the world disturbed the heart of God. And, and Jesus, of course, shows us the heart of God as he weeps over those who mourn. Uh, Mary and Martha at the grave of Lazarus. Or in Jerusalem as he witnesses the pain that is going to befall that generation. And the Holy Spirit himself is also a spirit who grieves, groans, cries out, as Paul writes to us in Romans 8. God is a God who understands suffering, a God who is vulnerable. And the very nature of love is that it makes us vulnerable. C.S. Lewis, in his book, um, I think it's a problem of pain, says, you know, actually, if, or, or if, if, if you love at all, you make yourself vulnerable to pain. If you love a cat, you know. Um, uh, and I guess the other thing about love is that love is, is, is practical, in 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 what we've just heard in, in, in one John three, um John says If if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So l- love is, is intensely practical. Um and, and that is our God, and that is God who shows himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the exact representation of God, isn't he? And Jesus um, was intensely relational, relational, wasn't he? He called people to follow him, to be with him. He was grieved when, when his disciples were asleep in his hour of need in the garden. He, he was always at parties and, and weddings and festivals and. Uh, He was just this intensely relational person who who loved people, who had friends, who the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. It's all that, that sense. Oh, Jesus, you demonstrate the heart of God is incredibly relational. Jesus, of course, gave people freedom to choose. He said to his disciples at one point, do you want to leave me? Are you going to go as well? he didn't kind of, and and they say, well, where can we go? You've got the words of eternal life. But it wasn't a coercive relationship. It was a relationship based on love. And and Jesus, of course, was was vulnerable. Vulnerable to the point of physically dying on the cross for us in in, in the agony of a tortured death, but also in the vulnerability of, of those people who'd rejected him. And love of, uh, in Jesus was intensely practical, and 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 it's it's a kind of you know, Jesus seeing the crowds and saying we need to give them something to eat. <laughs> it's it's that, it, it's not just I'm giving you words. I will also want to give you food. Jesus said, "Man shall not live on bread alone," but he also demonstrated, "Man shall not live on words alone." Let's make sure that we can care for those people who who are being drawn to us, he says to his disciples, you can, let's give them something to eat, and there may need to be an element of miraculous in that. So that's the nature of God. God God is love, and and if God is love, and and Jesus is love, and, and we're friends of Jesus, then God loves us. And the challenge for us may be in believing that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ loves us in the way that God loves us. Um, we may have a sort of performance anxiety relationship with God. I think, well, maybe God will love me if I'm really good or if I witness a lot. You know, Um, if I invite people, if I go and do that flyering, maybe you'll love me. Maybe if I go and do some bags for prisoners, maybe Richard will love me. (laughs) But, but, you know, we we can... (laughs) We we can have a bit of performance anxiety as far as God's concerned. And maybe that's partly because we don't know him very well. Or maybe it's because we look at ourselves and we we, we doubt whether we are intrinsically lovable. If you really knew me, would you love me is a common human fear, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul famously describes love. Brilliantly describes love, isn't it? Love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Uh, And um, in a a sense, we could substitute because God is love. God's name there instead of love. We could say God is patient. God is kind. And could we assent to that? Could we say, yeah, that's true. So could we put our name in there as well? And say, God is patient with me. God is kind to me. God doesn't keep a record of my wrongs. God always hopes. God always trusts. God perseveres with me. God has entrusted me with stuff. And and I, I wonder whether that might even be a good exercise for you to do when you go home after the service today. Just read that passage. If God is love, God loves me. How does he love me? If this is what love is like, God loves me like that. Do I believe that? Do I own that? Does that set me free in a way that enables me to live in that kind of unbounded way that God always intended? God doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He doesn't, he's not happy when I'm evil, for sure, but he still hopes and perseveres with me. So if God is love, and, and if God loves us, there is a currency around the love of God. I, I love to kind of use that language of economics. Uh, I mean, Daniel, is, is, he's always talking about, the, you know, he's done this kind of finance, this economics, and whatever it is, business studies, and uh, he, he talks about money and the economy, and oh, that's interesting, but there's an economy of the kingdom of God, isn't there? Um, I think it's right, Daniel. Josh, yeah. Actually, if we if we spend money, the economy grows. Does it grow like that through through spending? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and through through trade. You know, through uh, through output and, and a market for it, and, and an expanding market. And uh, but basically, capitalism is based on an exp- expanding, growing economy, isn't it? But in a way, the kingdom of God is based on that too, but not on those kind of economics. It's on the economics of of giving love away, that love grows, that we we kind of create a a climate where there's a whole kingdom economy of love that flows. How is it going to work? And it it works because we love our neighbor. And, And this is so... Basic, that it's almost embarrassing for me to re- repeat this before you. You know, the greatest command, Jesus was asked, What is the greatest command? Well, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, This is the greatest command. But then he goes under quote from the book of Leviticus. And the second is like it, Love your neighbours, yourself. And there's something about loving God and loving people, which means you've really got love for God if you love people. If you say that you love God and you don't love people, well, do you really love God? That's kind of the question. There's something about the very nature of the love of God which has to explode outward. It can't be kept in. And and the nature of, of the love that Jesus describes when he talks about loving our nature, of course, transcends the very ordinary, regular way that we love one another, where we love like loving like, loving people, being kind to people who may pay us back. Jesus calls us to go beyond that because he says the love of God is so lavish and generous that he loves his enemies. And I'm calling you to be that kind of people who love your neighbor, even when your neighbor is actually the person who is unlike you and is your enemy. And, um, and, and, and that kind of love being intensely practical. And I think that for us, as we love and we, we call ourselves Christians who love, we have to kind of keep challenging ourselves to go beyond what is natural. We've got to love cross-culturally. We've got to love those people who may not agree with us, who who may be even hostile towards us. We've got to think about the neediest people in the world and think how can we express love to them. And it's great that that you do that. It's so easy. I mean, I think a big challenge for all of us is to love cross-culturally. It's hard, isn't it, you know? And and um, and that's, even in the kind of socioeconomic world, you know, sometimes I walk around sea mills and it feels quite a divided estate to me sometimes. It feels like, you know, I go collect my kids at school and I see the, the kind of, the people who've moved in and the, and the local uh, indigenous sea millers. I think, oh, maybe we're not really interfacing very well as communities in this, um, generally speaking, you know? And how can we do that as a church family? How can we become more... Um, able to, to have the wisdom to know how we reach out. I guess finally, I just want to say that love casts out fear. That's a great verse. It's one that um, I come back to a lot. Perfect love, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. In the Garden of Eden, Adam hid from God. God says, where are you, Adam? And presumably God knows where Adam is. But Adam is hiding from God. Why? Is it shame? Is it fear? Is it because I've done something wrong? I've broken a covenant. I, I may be being punished. And Adam hid from God in shame instead of going to God for healing. And when he did encounter God, ultimately God covered his shame. Do we uh, hide from people? Do we hide from God? What is it? Is it shame? Is it fear of punishment? I was at a little conference with um, with with Tim. We had a very nice time, actually, Beth, me and Tim. And um, Tim, I, I had better breakfast than Tim because I was in the hotel. He was with Jonathan, but uh, <laughs> but uh, and we we were. Um, yeah, this little conference. And one of the guys there was was talking about the fact that as a church leader, it's really not safe to be to share your brokenness with people. You know, to to, to admit that you've got weaknesses, vulnerabilities. Um uh, and that's sometimes why things go wrong, because we're not able to trust one another with our vulnerabilities. And there's something about being in, um, in relationship with the loving God that says, God who knows me chooses not to keep a record of wrongs and show me mercy. Can we be like that with one another? Or are we a kind of community where there's fear of rejection or punishment? And as we go into communion in a moment, this is a place where we learn that we are profoundly accepted because God who knows us has made it possible for us to receive mercy, not judgment. That's the heart of love, not of fear, but generosity. So we're going to take some time now to go back into communion and back into worship. And I'm going to lead us in that uh, little expression. But this is a love feast, isn't it? That's what the early church called communion, a love feast, a, a, a place where we remember how much God loved us, that he gave everything for us. Where we, as you do in a love relationship, give yourself back. This is a re-covenanting, a recalibration of our relationship with God. As we take communion, it's an outward expression of a desire of our hearts to give ourselves to God again. It's a recognition that instead of um, punishment, there is forgiveness. And then there's also a challenge that we're going to go out and love our neighbors. Because when we take communion, we're anticipating a heavenly banquet, which is for every tribe, tongue, nation where there is no more division. So we want to live those kind of lives now in the world where we can live extravagantly and lovingly because of the extravagance of the love of God. So maybe if we'll take a moment, and we can just take a moment just to make ourselves right with God or right with people if there's been any hindrance in our relationships with anyone. Father God, you are love. Jesus, you're the lover of ourselves. Uh, and we, we want to confess, God, that we've often sinned against love. And sometimes it's by, by, by being, doing things that are hurtful. But sometimes it's been by withdrawal and hiding. And we want to choose again, Lord God, to put ourselves under your mercy, to be cleansed from our sins, to live out our faith. So will you forgive us and clothe us again with Jesus? Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Amen.